What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Success Academy podcast. Today with me, Jay Papazon. He's an entrepreneur and multiple-time best-selling author. Um, one of his books is called The One Thing, and it's a book that I'm a big fan of. I've gained a lot of value from it. We're definitely going to talk about some of the principles in there because I think it's definitely going to be valuable to you listening. So anyways, welcome to the show, Jay. Hey, thanks for having me, Tegan. Excited to be here. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited and glad we could make this happen. So to sort of start things off, why don't you just kind of share a bit more of who you are and just kind of how you got started? Sure. Um, gosh, where to start? I'll do the quick version. Uh, I worked in publishing for a few years. Uh, I've always been kind of a book fiend. Um, that's where I met my wife. Um, after uh, you know a couple of years of romance, we got married. And after a backpacking adventure where we quit our jobs and just traveled the world for a little while, we settled in Austin, Texas. Um, in Austin, I swear, I started working for Keller Williams Realty. I was just kind of looking for a day job so I could focus on my freelance writing and discovered that I really fell in love with this amazing entrepreneurial company that Gary Keller started. Um, he and I became partners in 2002 writing books. And we have either written directly with our names on the cover or produced 11 books, seven of them national bestsellers, the most recent of which is The One Thing, The Surprisingly Simple Truth Behind Extraordinary Results, which is I'm gathering why we're here today. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's definitely like how I sort of found you out and discovered kind of your work and what you do. And I definitely, I definitely really like that book and something that I've applied into my own life. And I think it's something that's definitely going to be really valuable to like everyone listening. So I definitely do want to get into that um, definitely a lot in just a second. But first, I kind of wanted to take a step back as well, because I know you kind of talked about that, but I'm curious, like, did you ever have like, from a young age, did you ever do certain things or have certain characteristics that kind of showed that you like, kind of wanted to go your own way or have this sort of entrepreneurial DNA where like, you were gonna like, you know, just like be an author, have these characteristics to ultimately kind of succeed? Like, did you notice these sort of characteristics from a young age or is it something that you developed over time uh for me it's probably developed i mean i was a curious kid i was lost in my own imagination um i've always been a little bit of an introvert and i think introverts find it a little easier to go in, on their own um, which can be helpful um, in some entrepreneurial ventures but i don't think anybody would have looked at me um when i was a young kid and said wow there's an entrepreneur in the making you know, I did some hustle. I remember, you know, mowing yards. Um, I was a hard worker. I convinced, you know, my friends to mow my yards for me when I was out of town. I remember that being kind of feeling guilty because I was getting paid 15 bucks and I was paying them 10 and I thought I was cheating them. Huh. And my dad had to explain, no, you did the work of getting the yards. You could just keep having them mow your yards and just cash the checks. And I was like, kind of was radical. Um, yeah. But I wouldn't say I was like on fire. Um, I always thought I was going to be an executive. That's what my dad had done. He, you know, been successful in business and write books at some point. It wasn't until I really started working with Gary that I started exploring the entrepreneurial side and really understanding how wealth was built. And most of the studies that I did told me that it wasn't going to be through just a job. You can have a job and enjoy it and love it, but it would probably be something else that you'd be doing that would be truly building your wealth. And that's what we focused on. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's definitely super true there. And I, I really like the way how like, you know, maybe you weren't necessarily like some of these crazy stories, but you still were having that sort of curiosity and still just like having that sort of entrepreneurial spirit where like, you know, you're still trying to make money and just like getting out there and actually, you know, taking action. So I feel like that's definitely 
Um, something that I've noticed in a lot of the people that I've interviewed where they kind of have these characteristics from like a young age. So I'm curious, like, do you think that anyone can be an entrepreneur or do you think it takes a certain type of person? I don't want to say that uh, everyone gets to do it. I think anyone can, but not everyone will. And that's a statement we actually wrote um, about the millionaire real estate investor when we wrote that book. I do think that anyone can. Um, the fact is everyone won't. Uh, there's all kinds of reasons behind that. I think we have this myth of the successful entrepreneur that they have all of these amazing qualities and traits. And we've built this myth really kind of around this lone hero. Um, but Steve Jobs didn't you know, resurrect Apple by himself, but he was the front guy. But there was somebody else that built the hardware, right? Um, you look you know, behind Bill Gates and there's Paul Allen. There's always another person and usually there's more than one. So in the category of anyone can, um, I think both of the, quote, the consummate entrepreneurial type, they still need the, the steady types behind them, the engineers to get the, the hard, quiet work done. And if you're the hard, you know, the, the quiet, hardworking type, you might need that front man. So I like to think, you know, the phrase Gary says all the time is no one succeeds alone. Um, I take that really to heart. And the first time I really understood what it meant to own a business, I give credit to Robert Kiyosaki in the book Cashflow Quadrant, if you've read that. I really remember dwelling on this idea that you go from being an employee, a lot of people then become self-employed. Um, most of the realtors that work in our business are self-employed. If they stop selling real estate, their business dies. Yeah. When you truly own a business is when you go from I do it or we do it to they do it. And Gary has hammered that in, in my years working for me. It's kind of cool to be, you know, now 18 years in his company, 16 years getting to work with a self-made billionaire. There's some really good lessons you, you get rubbed off and definitely succeeding through others is a big part of that. Yeah, definitely. I really like what you're saying there. Cause I mean, um, like kind of taking it from the side of like the one thing, like you were saying there is like, you're going to be good at certain things, but then you have to have other people that kind of um, have the certain strengths that you might not have and then they kind of fill in for your weaknesses so then you can focus on your strengths because I mean a lot of people maybe if they don't succeed it could very well be because they're trying to like improve at everything and so they're like focusing on so many different things and it's kind of the opposite of the one thing so then they aren't able to succeed when instead what you should be doing is focusing on your strengths and really focusing on that and then finding other people to kind of fill in on the places where you may fall short kind of thing I feel like that's definitely powerful way to look at things for sure. And I think it's helpful if you go into it imagining that you're going to need others, and then you start mentally budgeting for it. Um, one of the biggest mistakes I see people make is they go into business for themselves and whatever they're doing, consulting, selling this, their side hustle. And as their income grows, they allow their lifestyle to grow with it. And, you know, instead of getting an assistant, they get a Mercedes. Yeah. Right. Instead of getting an operations director to handle all the back office stuff they don't want to do, they get a furnished condo downtown and they look up and they start to think that they can't afford help and they make it all about themselves. And there's ego that gets tied up in that. Right. They get to ride up on a white horse and save the day all the time. But there's also no one to save them. There's no one to dispel them so they can go on vacation. You know, if they're sick, they still are going to work. It's a very destructive cycle that I see a lot of people get into. But if you walk in the door knowing that you need other people, then as you start to grow and those income streams grow, you start immediately thinking, well, who can I invest in? Instead of what do I invest in, who can I invest in? 
and you allow that to happen very organically. And the businesses that start that way, I, in my research, in my experience, um, they tend to scale really well. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with that for sure. And also like, like you were saying there, this isn't necessarily exactly the point that you're trying to say, but like it also just like how you're saying there, you know, like instead of getting an assistant, they get like a Mercedes or whatever. Like just kind of reminded me as well of like, speaking of Robert Kiyosaki is something that he said um, is just kind of invested in assets first and liabilities second. So you can have those assets in place that kind of fund your liabilities. So I feel like that's definitely, definitely a really good way to look at those things and a good mindset shift to have to not just like focusing on like spending things, but instead looking at like how you can like improve your team or get more people alongside to really help with that, to really be able to scale for sure. Yeah, I agree. That's, that's, that's a perfect analogy. I, th I think that people are the overlooked asset in the business though. Yeah. And so they are absolutely assets and they're one of the few ones that you can get an infinite rate of return on. You hire yeah. that right person and they can unlock a, a, a fortune for you and your family and your friends. So it's a, it's definitely one of the better investments that you can make. Yeah, right definitely. That's definitely so true. Like investing in people has the biggest ROI for sure. Um, but yeah, so I'm curious because I mean, another thing that it takes, like you need the right people and all that in place, but also you do kind of have to get your own mind right to be able to have the right mindset to succeed kind of things. I mean, um, as an entrepreneur, there are going to be lots of like setbacks and all that kind of stuff. So in your opinion, what would be like some tips that you would have for entrepreneurs looking into the, get into this entrepreneurial journey? What would you say to them to really be able to develop the right mindset from the start? Well, I think that, uh, we tend to hear and read about people's successes and you really have to dig below the surface to realize that these overnight successes have often been toiling away for 10 to 12 years. Yeah. Um, we had an intern in our private equity company and we gave them a book and I think it was like the Forbes, the hundred best companies of all time. And just kind of on a lark, um, a lark makes it sound like we were just looking for busy work. It was actually an idea and we wanted to find out if it was true and they had the time. So we asked them to research the hundred companies and from conception to the moment they blew up, like whether they funded as a public company or, you know, this is the moment that they launched the first iPhone, whatever that was, how long of a gap was it? And the median was eight to between eight and 11 years. So it was a lot longer, I think, than most people imagine. So I do think that, step into it prepared that it's not going to happen overnight. There's going to be a ton of failure along the way. And the most important qualities I think an entrepreneur can have are resilience and just this idea of being learning based. If you yeah. see failures as opportunities to learn and because you're learning based, right, you actually learn from them. Um, it's kind of like Carol Dweck's book. It's a growth or a fixed mindset. You've got a growth mindset. Okay. I screwed up today. What did I learn from that? And how do I, prevent it from happening in the future. The people who are methodical in that way, they survive. They come out in that eight to 10 years, 11 years, whatever, and they have a business worth owning on the other side. So, you know, smart is overrated. I'd rather have someone who's willing to learn and aggressive at learning than just someone who's, quote, smart. I don't really want stupid either. Um, pardon my, you know, frankness, but you want people who are intelligent enough to do the job that you really want someone who's learning based because nobody starts off perfect. I don't care what your natural abilities are. You're going to have to learn and evolve with the market and the competition. And those people tend to thrive, especially if they're resilient. Yeah, definitely. I really like that. Cause I mean, you definitely do have to have that learning mindset and like constantly improving and like 
figuring out ways to just constantly be like working on your craft and just, yeah, that state of just constant improvement. Because I mean, like you said, it's like, it's kind of like, there's a quote about how like, it's like the overnight success, but like 10 years in the making or whatever. So you definitely aren't going to succeed overnight and you have to understand that going into it and be able to constantly be, be like taking those failures, but learning from it and constantly improving for sure. Um, I, think, yeah. I was actually, I'm sorry to interrupt you. And I was chatting with someone of my staff because this summer, We've been building a new business um, with our training business with a guy named Jeff Woods who launched our podcast and we've been building a training company and there's been some definite stops and starts and some learning lessons. And he was asking how I remained calm when some of these things were blowing up because like he would get angry or, you know, because someone wasn't billing us correctly or whatever. And I think one of the great lessons, if you stick around, like you make it through part of the cycle is you'll learn that there's, Success is really a series of failures you survive. And the skill that you grow, and this is something I've been reflecting on a lot lately, is how quickly I recover now. I go through the five stages of grief, you know, denial, anger, all of those little steps that happen when bad things happen. I cycle through that so much faster than, I mean, I think about like when you're a teenager or whatever, like everything's the end of the world. You haven't gotten perspective yet. Being an entrepreneur gives you perspective fast. You're going to have mistakes, they're going to suck, and you're going to survive. And because you survive each of them, and if you keep going, you'll cycle through them faster, hopefully, and that makes you even more resilient. So it's kind of a virtuous cycle where failure allows you to learn faster, recover faster, and that can actually be a competitive advantage over other people. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's so true, and that's kind of like um, – like I really like how you said that, like how it's like a competitive advantage because, I mean – that's like, I, I listened to a, an interview with Kobe Bryant and he was actually saying how he likes to lose and he likes to um, actually be able to go into it and watch the whole game over again to actually look at it and study it and see like how he could actually improve. Cause I mean, if you're just constantly winning, then you can't really see how you improved. Cause that means you did everything like pretty good, which is good as well. But like, it's exciting to him when he does lose because then it means that he can actually improve. So it's definitely really good to have that. Like you said earlier, that growth mindset for sure. I love that story. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a good one for sure. Um, but yeah, and I mean, in terms of developing the right mindset, you definitely do have to constantly be developing that kind of thing. Cause it's not like you're going to naturally just be able to see like these failures as just short term. You have to kind of constantly be putting yourself in the right state of mind. So what do you do kind of like every morning or whether you have a morning routine or whatever it is, do you do a certain thing every day to kind of set yourself up for success? Um, we have, I I'm, I'm, I'm tend to be a little ritualistic. I've always been that way. I've always had my rituals and some of them were good, some of them were bad, but I've, I'm very good at sticking with them. Um, my mornings are all about sleep. Um, I think I'm probably started life as more of a night owl and I'm definitely more of a lark now. Um, I've learned that there's a lot that can be done in the morning and there's no one to disturb what you're doing. Yeah. And I've, I think kids help that a lot, having kids, because I, I was the morning person. I had to get up and give my son a bottle, and I just didn't stop getting up early after that. Um, so that's freed up a ton of time. So we get a good night's rest. We typically go to bed fairly early. Doesn't mean I don't stay up late sometimes. I do, but I don't generally stay up late more than one night in a row because um, I want to get back on rhythm as fast as I can. And I usually, even if I stay up late, I won't sleep in. I'll go ahead and get up at my normal time and just be a little tired and know that I'll go to bed early the next night. So yeah. I'm very regimented about my rest. If you're going to succeed, you've got to be able to recover. And that's when your muscles grow. 
right? If you're working out, it's that downtime, the recovery time when you actually grow new muscle to get stronger. Yeah. That's kind of what I, my refrain is, you know, this idea of 20 hour days is it, you're borrowing against account that will come due someday. So first off, great night of sleep, usually exercise, have a healthy breakfast. Um, my wife gets up with me. We get up about five ten every morning and that morning time when we exercise together, maybe walk the dog. We work out with the trainer several times a week, have a healthy breakfast. Um, I usually will read before the kids get up. Um, I generally have always read the papers since I was in high school. Um, always read the business section and obviously read the sports and maybe the rest of it too. I find that incredibly relaxing. It's kind of a, a way for me to relax and do something very enjoyable. Maybe read a little bit of whatever book I'm into. And then um, I do a little planning, you know, I have, you know, so I get family time, I get reading time, I get exercise, nutrition, and all of that is on a great base of sleep. And the last thing I do is look at my calendar. And I usually haven't looked at my email once during this period of time. Because I don't like that. That gets me into other people's priorities. Um, I'm trying to stay focused on mine in the morning. So that's kind of how I launch my days so that my mind is ready to go. I know what my priorities are. Um, I've got my rest. I've got my nutrition, my sleep, all of those things. I, I show up, you know, ready, you know, both guns loaded and ready to go. Yeah, definitely. I really like that. And, like, um, definitely I feel like looking at your email right at the start is a really good way to kind of not have control at your day of your day, like whatsoever, because like you said, like you're kind of getting in other people's agendas kind of thing rather than your own. So it's definitely good to start out and actually really design your day kind of like that. And I'm curious cause I know, um, like talking about the one thing book kind of thing, how do you really incorporate that into your daily life? Like, are there certain principles that you take from the book that you wrote and just kind of like how do you actually apply that into your own life? Like, do you do like sort of maybe focus blocks throughout the day or like, how do you sort of incorporate that? Well, there's a lot to unpack there. I think one of the, since we kind of started with the rituals, um, you know, the whole book is about identifying the, the few things that really matter. And in many cases, um, not just doing them one time, but taking those activities and ritualizing them, making them a habit. So one of the, the big discoveries for me, um, other people may have known it, I'd always heard a habit took 21 or 30 days, and that's just, there's no science behind that. Um, yeah. On average, it takes about 66 days. So, you know, two to three times longer than most people give it. And doing a really simple thing, like flossing your teeth, it's usually, it's one activity that you're building a habit around, not a whole bunch of rituals. So a lot of our morning time was built one ritual at a time. You know, I've given you my routine, but each of those habits had to be composed over time. So a lot of, when I look at really successful people, and there's a reason that you ask and Tim Ferriss asked, a lot of very successful people have built really powerful habits early into their days. Um, we tend to have the most willpower to do what we need to do then. And so that's a great time to be forming them. And then you're setting this platform up. So very early in the day, you're knocking out some really big priorities. You know, your health, your nutrition, your sleep. For me, planning is looking at my calendar, knowing what are my priorities? I'm launching my day with this prioritization so that at eight o'clock, I've already put in, you know, two and a half, three hours where most people, you know, still showing up to work with their hair still wet from their shower. Um, that's a massive competitive advantage. So a lot of it comes down to this idea of understanding how habits are formed, forming them one at a time. If you do that, you can still form five a year 
right? If you just went back to back to back, you could form five amazing habits in a single year and have a massive advantage over other people because you're taking at least some action on a regular basis versus just when you felt like it or were inspired. So that's a big takeaway from the book. And if there was only one more, and I know that in your, in our, your prep questions, you mentioned this, but for me, when I know my priorities, I then got to time block them. So my work day, I'm going to go into my work day. And if I know what my number one is for that week or that month, I'm going to make sure I've got a lot of time blocked off to attack that problem. And that singular skill, it separates a lot of people. Most people use their calendars for appointments with other people. Successful people use their calendars for important appointments with themselves. That's when they set an appointment to do their most important work. They're one thing. Yeah, definitely. I really like that whole concept. And I've, I've definitely applied that a lot as well. Cause I really like how, I mean, a lot of people are kind of constantly splitting their focus and like trying to multitask and do so many different things, but it definitely is really important to like set that time to really just focus. But yeah, so I'm curious, like, cause I mean, in like this day and age, there are so many different, like so much information out there and just so many different things you could be focusing on. So it's sometimes really hard to actually just like focus on one thing with all of the notifications and like all that kind of stuff. So what would be your advice to someone that's just like constantly like splitting their focus? What would be your advice to them to be able to really stop splitting their focus and be able to actually focus on one thing? Well, if people pick up the book and they don't have to, I just say there's the whole chapter on multitasking. Um, it lowers your effectiveness. It costs you massive amounts of time. There's research that now shows it actually lowers your IQ. There's just so many costs. Okay. Just this period. It's a really bad thing to do in terms of productivity habits. Um, the world is actually aiming us towards there. There are engineers at Apple and Google that are paid bajillions of dollars to try to distract us with our phones. The reality is most of us, when we really want to focus, we do. Um, it may just not be on work. Like if you are really excited about the next Star Wars movie, hopefully you're not that person who is on Twitter the entire time, right? You're there and this is your favorite movie series and you're actually focused. You, ha- you might actually put your phone on do not disturb. So we know how to do it. We just don't do it for ourselves. So I think adapting that habit, um, I usually tell people as hard as it is to really focus, start with just their number one priority. So if you know your number one priority for your work is say writing ad copy, or maybe it's making sales copies, go into that time block for an hour or however long you're willing to give it. And just for that one activity, make a stand on not multitasking. And in my experience, when people just make a stand around one singular activity, when I do this, I will not do these other things. Um, They experience so much more success, it starts to bleed over into other priorities. But you know, maybe when I'm on a date, I won't be on my phone, right? Because I really like this other person and I would like to give them my full attention instead of my divided attention. So start small, right? We talk about start with the smallest domino, Think big, but start small. And that's actually a great formula for building up momentum, getting some wins, and then those carry over into other areas of your life. Yeah, definitely. And I really like that whole um, analogy that you have in the book about like the domino effect. So why don't you kind of break that down even further? Like, cause I know there's actually like um, those statistics about like how starting with that one domino, it can eventually like knock over another one being like the size of the Eiffel Tower. And like, why don't you just kind of talk more about that? Okay. That's actually like, everybody loves that section of the book and it was fun. Um, The domino metaphor for us was this idea when we talked about the one thing, 
um, everyone pushed back. It's like, who gets to do one thing? And they're right. We all have multiple priorities in our lives. You know, maybe we have um, a relationship, um, a child, uh, a sick parent, um, multiple jobs, a side hustle, like whatever it is, sports, activities, health. We have these competing priorities. So the idea here is if you line up dominoes in a row um, and you do it right, we all have done this at some point. If you knock over the first one, what happens to the rest, Egan? Then they all fall down. <laughs> right. And that's called aligning your priorities, right? So what actually happens when you're doing your one thing, um, it doesn't mean that everything else goes away. It can make other things actually a lot easier. Um, and it can actually build momentum so that you're getting more done with each effort. And so that became kind of a central metaphor in the book is line up your dominoes. It's kind of like a, a command to not just focus, but let's take the most leveraged opportunities in front of us and knock that down and knock that down and not jump ahead because we're impatient. And so while we were playing with that, our researchers, you know, were looking around, we found an old article in the American Journal of Physics where this guy found out that a two inch domino can knock over a three inch domino, can knock over a four and a half inch domino and so forth. Basically any domino can knock over one that's 50% larger. And so not only can you do get a lot of stuff done, it can get bigger and bigger. And so I immediately went to my spreadsheet, started playing around with that. And um, by the, like, the 18th domino, it would knock over one um, as big as the Leaning Tower of Pisa if it was growing at that rate. And by the 23rd, it would knock over one as tall as the Eiffel Tower. And the Eiffel Tower is like as tall as the Empire State Building without the radio tower. Like it's super tall, but people don't realize that because in Paris, there's no other big building around it. Right? It's just standing there all by itself, so we can't imagine how big it actually is. And something like 53 dominoes, I'm sorry, I don't have the stat right in front of me, just 50-something dominoes into it, I think 56, um, if they kept growing at that same rate, it would knock over one um, that would go from the Earth to the Moon. So it's this idea that most people, a geometric progression, um, which is when things grow at a regular rate like that, eventually it grows in such a way that it, it surprises everyone. It has that hockey shape, hockey stick on its side shape to it. And that is what we call the shape of extraordinary success. You're doing the right things, you're doing the right things, you're doing the right things, and you build up such momentum that when you hit the elbow of the curve and you start going up, it almost always takes people's breath away. Um, the one caution I would say is if you habitually do the wrong things, you can have the exact same impact but in reverse if you're always spending a little bit more than you earn, right? Well, I can get a second credit card. I can just start paying the minimum balance, right? You start playing that game, then suddenly one day you look up and maybe you break your leg and you have a big medical expense and you get laid off from your job. And people go from, I can manage this to like bankruptcy really fast. So yeah. positive, right, habits build momentum over time they give you more and more power and they can surprise you their impact. The same is true for negative habits. Yeah, I really like that. Like that whole analogy is a really good way to kind of look at things of like starting with that one domino and it's like something that may seem small that you're able to start with, but eventually it knocks over like really huge things. And it's like um, the way I see it is it's like you can set your goals and you can literally shoot for the moon, like that domino that's going to be tall enough to like reach the moon. But then you have to start today on that like smaller domino that's just like the one that's right in front of you. So it's you kind of have to reverse engineer where you want to go and then start today on like the smaller thing, the one thing that's like right in front of you for sure. But yeah, well, like 
you're preaching my language. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I definitely really like that whole, just that whole analogy is a really great way to break things down for sure. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm curious because, um, I know you've definitely shared a lot of value in some tangible ways that people can really implement this into their own lives. Um, and definitely, I would definitely encourage the listeners to pick up the book as well after once we're done here. But, um, I just kind of had one last question relating to this is just like, if you could share like one final sort of tactical piece of advice, that's like the number one thing that you would want like everyone on earth to hear in like 60 seconds, that would be like the number one thing regarding the one thing or whatever it is, what would that piece of advice be? No pressure at all. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I thought about this and the moment you said that your audience, there's a lot of young entrepreneurs listening. Um, I tend to go like if I'm in the presence of a mentor, um, I usually say, what advice would you give me at this age, right? Because it's usually time-based. That's why you see those questions. But if you go back in time and give yourself some advice right when you graduate from college, what would you say? Blah, 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 blah. Um, and also, you usually want the positive and also what, what mistakes would you avoid? And I think both come together for me on this. I think when you're a younger entrepreneur, the strength that you have that most gets overused is your ability to just work harder and longer than other people. You've got a vision, you've got ambition. And so you've got this ability also because you're youthful to work those 18 hour days. And there are a lot of really impactful figures that I agree with most of what they say. Some people that I'm not gonna name them because I don't wanna disparage them, but they talk about hustle and how you've gotta out hustle everyone. And I think that that actually can be a strength that is way overused and can be a massive disservice to people. I would tell people, instead of doing more things for side effects, do fewer things with more effect. If you caught that, what happens is when people are really trying to just stretch themselves and let themselves be the lever for everything they do, more hours, more energy, less sleep, eventually they get side effects. They get sick, they get burnt out, their relationships start to crumble. There's a lot of really bad impacts. It's much better to focus on fewer things and absolutely do those well, you don't have to work long hours. You know, everybody gets the same 24 hours in a day and some people make $50 an hour and some people make $50,000 an hour. Yeah. The difference is what you're doing in those hours. And that's what I would really ask the young entrepreneurs to start focusing on. Instead of doing more, start doing less, but be a lot more impactful with what you do. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And that's definitely, definitely some really good advice, especially for people just starting out to really like, I feel like if you start out with that sort of mindset right from the start, then like, that's when you're definitely going to kind of really start that domino effect and really like skyrocket your success for sure. I agree. But yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, you definitely provide a lot of value on this episode. So I think people are definitely going to want to maybe pick up the book and also maybe reach out to you if they have any questions or just want to maybe follow you online or whatever it is. So why don't you just kind of share where people can find you if they may want to reach out or whatever. Well, everything about the one thing is at the one thing.com with the number one. Um, we've got tons of free resources on there. Um, we've got a podcast. So if you can't afford the book and don't want to make a trip to the library, you can at least you know, subscribe to the podcast and start kind of internalizing some of the ideas. We wrote this book for entrepreneurs. Um, that's who we had in mind as our primary audience. So hopefully you can take something away from it that will benefit you, your business and your family. Um, 
for me personally, Jay Papazan, um, I'm really easy to Google. I mean, there's only, you know, a few dozen Papazans in the country, and I think I'm the only Jay Papazan there is in Google. So if you Google my name, you're going to find me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever your preference is. I tend to focus a little bit more on Instagram because there's not as many words, and words bedevil me because I'm a writer. Um, so I get more relaxation there. But I'm, I try to be responsive. If someone had a specific question, um, I try to respond to them. Just be patient because I try to be focused so I don't spend tons and tons of time on social media. Yeah, I like that too. Just that last little kind of, last little sort of subtle piece of advice there that people can just kind of notice by the way you do it, not necessarily only what you say, but also just kind of what you do. Just like, you know, not always being on social media, but actually being able to focus for sure. Yeah, yeah. well, there's a business, it's a great place to engage with your customers. Um, in my experience, it's not the number one way to acquire them. So unless you're just paying for them, which cannot, is not always the best way to lead. That's a whole other conversation for another day. So, you know, definitely I'm there. I want to engage with people who are interested in our products and I'm happy to help anybody that listens to this podcast. Just reach out. Yeah, definitely. Sounds great. Um, but yeah, so thanks again for being on the show and to the listeners, I'll see you again on the next episode.